Hello and welcome. May the peace and blessings of God be upon you all. You have joined us on another edition of Saturday Morning Live. My name is Usman Shazad Bhatt and with me in the studio are my dear friends Hamza Vanderman and Shams Najm. Now, as always, we will be discussing for the first hour different news stories that caught our eye and then in the second hour we'll be discussing our main topic which is modern day parenting as they call it. What are the challenges that parents of today are facing. Now it is a live and interactive show, so we do want you to have your say, be part of our conversation. Call us 0208-687-7878. That's 0208-687-7878. Or you can get in touch via any of our socials at Voice of Islam UK. Gentlemen, hello, welcome. May the peace and blessings of God be upon you. It's good to see you this morning. Good to see you too. Yep, thank you for having us. So I guess as usual, we'll be discussing different news stories that caught our eye in the first hour. And uh, Hamza, what caught your eye this week? Well, it's my job, I guess, to go through some of the uh, the big political news uh, this week. Lots happening in both the uh, UK and the US. So probably better to start at home. And there were two uh, very big by-elections at the end of uh, this week um, that are probably going to set the tone for uh, what people see as quite a... a, a you know, interesting uh, election campaign that we're going to probably have towards the towards the end of the year. And so these by-elections closely watch to see how both parties seem to be progressing, how they're doing. And they were both very, very big wins for Labour. Um, to the both seats, historically, very, very safe uh, conservative seats, uh, Wellingsborough and Kingswood. Wellingsborough had an 18,000-vote uh, majority for the Conservatives. That's a very, very big majority. Most people would say anything over eight, 9,000 is a very big majority that you've got to do a lot of work to swing. 18,000, that was swung. 28.5% swing over to Labour is the second biggest swing of all time. So it just shows you the the level of discontent there. The other seat, Kingswood, had an 11,000 uh, uh, vote Conservative majority also swung over to Labour um, and so that in itself very interesting that the two seats two very safe Tory seats were going to go but the other bit that is going to worry the Conservatives <coughs> is that the Reform Party the new party kind of attacking them from the right also took 13% of the of the vote came third in that vote that's a big share of votes that would usually go to the Conservative Party um, and so not only is that Labour uh, vote going to be concerning for people but also the fact that reform have performed very well in those two seats is really going to worry the what, uh, the what was the well. record before you said sorry before this one so 28.5 percent um is the swing so that that's held since i think world war ii so what that means is um how the votes have shifted so in the in the last election <clears throat> as i say eighteen thousand votes conservative majority so how is how have those votes moved to the labor party and apparently the amount that they moved to labor party is the second biggest movement of uh, of all time so labor are pretty happy about it they're not showing that um because they want people to still be uh, excited and uh, kind of working f- towards a general election so they're not they're staying complacent uh, and the conservatives are kind of blaming this on what they call midterm blues although it's not a midterm we're in the year of an election so that doesn't quite work but usually what people would are would it is fair to say that um the pa- the, the government in power the, the party in power doesn't perform well in by-elections by-elections are essentially when something has happened in a seat which has led 
led to the current uh, MP having to resign or be sacked. So these Tory MPs had to had to resign. I think one for bullying. Uh, and one for for something else. And so they have to leave their seats and therefore you call a local constituency by-election. And they, they, there were these two at the same time and they've both gone heavily to Labour. So Labour are very happy at the moment. Tory's very worried. And as I say, actually, one of the reasons the Tories are worried, not just because people seem to be happy about voting Labour, but also because their normal voter base, the right-wing voter base, has found this other party and they took 13% of the vote, which would otherwise have been theirs. And if that carries out in a general election, they'll be in, uh, well, they'll be in big trouble. What are your, to someone who clearly sees like you follow politics, what are your sort of thoughts and feelings towards how politics has evolved over the last sort of two to three years? Like for me, I don't necessarily follow it. I have I don't have much interest in it, but it seems there's a bit of, from what I see anyway. Like you know, this ping pong between uh, it's a bit of a joke, really. Um, you know, following or even trying to follow British politics at the moment. Um, various bills, uh, various tactics used, the migration issue, and before that was Brexit, and you know, there's various things. But it just seems like you mentioned the word discontent. But I'm struggling to see, and maybe it's because of my lack of knowledge, but in general struggling to see where there is contentment. Yeah, the, I mean, the, the Conservative Party has changed leaders, you know, three, four times even within this parliament mm. as well. So, and look, they've been in power initially through the coalition, but they've been in power since 2010. So that's a, for 14, 15 years of government. That's a long time. And so I think <clears throat> what you've got at the moment really is those those kind of last the last bit of a government where you don't really they don't really have any new ideas if they'd had ideas of how to govern and how to improve the country they'd have had them you know in the years gone by you wouldn't start having new ideas and the new ideas that you do have are essentially to um, solve problems that you haven't been able to solve in your previous 15 years so it's like you've had your you've had your crack and I think people are I think that's basically where people are so are they excited about the Labour Party I'm not Mm. Totally it, sure really about offer, that. Yeah. Not really totally yeah. sure about that. I mean, we also saw you brought it up earlier before we came online, um, Shamas, about the you know labour of you know some of their bigger policies. Mm. Actually, even those they're now stripping away. So the twenty eight billion green investment fund earlier this week was officially scrapped. Um, and so any sort of big bold policy that labour might have is also seems to be going because with a bolder policy, you do open yourself up to risk. And I think the Labour Party almost don't see the point in staking out big positions because actually they're just going to rely on people's frustrations with, and discontent yeah, and with the, it seems like that's what they're playing off at the moment and right? that's all they need to play off and i think so I, I think you're right it'll be interesting to see you know when that election comes and you see the results and they come into power actually what they're gonna what they're actually going to do then um and i think but I think the one thing that you will get is new people with new ministers with new briefs who will just naturally come to it with more energy and a different way of thinking, which just, you know, I mean, it happens to all of us. If you've had a job for, you know, let's just say five years, you know, you start, you're in the rhythm, six aren't months. you? Six <laughs> You know, you get in the rhythm, you've done it before, mm. you know, you start to lose a bit of the energy, you start to lose a bit of the buzz. You know, are you bringing new ideas to the table? Probably not, right? It's mm. the, and, it, and then there's no re. Actually, these are just human beings. There's no real difference, right? Fifteen years is a very is a very long time, and I think 
you know, as you said, it's been the tricky period. I've had COVID as well. And then they've had three new leaders within five years, which is absolutely crazy. Yeah, exactly. And so there is no stability. There's no real direction. And I think what you're now getting is just lots of weird policies to try and try and generate some short-term excitement and gain. And that's no, that's never good for the running of a country. You know, running of a country needs long-term decisions not things that are just going to win you some votes at the end of the year. So we're in that. It's not a great period. We just Everyone's waiting for that election uh, to be called. And then I think after that, hopefully the country can start to um, to start, uh, hopefully the government, whatever government it is, can then at least, even it, it just hypothetically, just say the Tories do uh, manage to win another election. At least they then know they've got another five years and they can actually put in policies that are building for five years, not just for the next you know, just to win votes in six months' time. Yeah. It just it just feels just feels um do you guys feel the same? It just feels, you know, worldwide. I know it's the year of the elections. It just feels uh, you know, there there is a lot of sort of I'd say like I'd go as far as saying depression around sort of leadership at the moment. Um no matter what country you kinda of sort of turn your gaze towards. But yeah, specifically here where you've said, you know, over the last sort of couple of years how many changes there's been but yet you know there's probably a momentary excitement that something's going to change and all it takes is a week before some <laughs> news stories are leaked and then you're like oh yeah. they're just the same as the last lot yeah. um so yeah it's unfortunate and I, and I and i agree i don't i don't think there's necessarily it doesn't feel like there's that excitement for uh labor necessarily per se coming in and changing you know or bringing about this revolution it's probably more so that we're just so fed up with with what, right. what is current it's interesting though because sometimes when you're going through a difficult patch for example this whole ULES situation now it affected a lot of people <laughs> across london i'm across the uk wherever they've established it but I can't remember what party it was that came. Oh, if we're in power, we're scrapping this ULA scheme. <laughs> if you're struggling, <laughs> you hear that. That's like music to your ears. You're gonna think, "Wow, that's that's the hard they got my vote." Scrap <laughs> ULA. I can't afford a car for seven thousand pounds. Yeah. So it's again, like, and we don't know if that's true. Like, <laughs> yeah, if they're yeah, actually yeah. gonna do it or not. We just know they've sold us something, and uh, in this t- moment of time. Well, that really appeals to me. Yeah, scrap you, scrap you, Liz. And they come in a week later. I've looked at the finances. Sorry, yeah, guys. We're not, we're not, sorry, sense. guys. Yeah. Facts, facts on the ground have changed. Yeah. We're gonna, we're gonna keep that going. Sorry about that. But thank you for your vote. <laughs> Thanks for your vote, and we'll, uh, we'll continue working in your best interest. Don't you worry about. Don't, yeah, don't, you, all, don't you worry about that. We all saw the Brexit propaganda, didn't we? And um, yeah, this. I, I guess that's just how it is. My, I mean, I was, I was thinking about this. Um, earlier on as well like how how, I mean I'm not young but how do we get youth to really be interested in politics I mean I've seen previously like sort of little clips and snippets of people who are sort of interviewed on the streets and often they're just like we have no we have no faith in leadership um, we have no interest a lot of uh, youngsters don't want to vote how do you feel about that? Yeah, I mean, you're right. And then, and then there's a big problem because, um, you know, the politicians know that the that generation, let's say the 18 to yeah. th- uh, eighteen to 25-year-olds, don't vote so much. And therefore, they don't build policies that maybe <coughs> would excite that. And it's much more beneficial to uh, create policies that the over 60s yeah. like because they're all going to go out there and vote. And then you end up in a even worse, you know, it's an even yeah. worse situation where you have policies that, you know, really... Um, you know, uh, overlook 
overlook the youth and you know place basically much more security on let's say uh, pensions and stuff like that yeah. you know the, the pensions always the first thing to kind of get triple locked and whatever no no don't worry your pensions will always go up they're always going to be protected what are we going to do about uh, more housing absolutely nothing because you know who cares <laughs> you know there's no votes in that so it, it, is, a, it is a real problem and, it, and it, I think it has created a um, kind of structural issue I think you know we'll come on to some of the challenges that you know um, in the main topic as parents that social media has had mm. I think what social media has done in terms of uh, politics is is I think it probably is an avenue from which to at least try and engage with uh, younger people and I think that is starting um, you know starting to happen a bit more uh, because you know you know just as in terms of channels if you're you know late teen early 20s you you know are you reading uh, the newspapers any no you're not and but now you are on channels that kind of politicians and activists can get to you on lots of stuff happens now on tiktok and instagram and stuff and mm. and so there's probably more channels now than there were 20 years ago to at least try and get people uh, interested i think it's interesting because in <clears throat> 2021 there's this youtuber called nicholas omalana very well known amongst the youth. If you don't know him, it shows that you guys aren't youthful. But anyway, he, as like a joke, basically, um, started running for Mayor of London. And he's got millions of followers. He came fifth. <laughs> no, but I'm saying, if you go if you go online and see how, how he did it, yeah. he got interviews for BBC, he paid the deposit, you got to pay a deposit. Yeah, yeah. it's not much though, is yeah. it? Deposit? I think it's about 10,000. Oh, is it? 10, no way. 10,000 pound deposit, yeah. yeah. 10,000 pounds. I'm reading it, it says, yeah, you didn't get that deposit back. So, oh, oh yes, because you have to have a certain yeah, number of votes yeah, yeah, to get yeah, your yeah. deposit back. But he came fifth and he beat certain MPs in certain, certain regions. So it's like, that made me feel as well. It's like, well, Although he brought it to people's attention that, you know, young people need to vote and look, they can vote if you market it in the right way. Yeah. But it, it, it's true. What what appeals to the youth? And it's, I feel like with this leadership, it's like, you know, um, no different to like parenting. I know we're going to go into parenting, but the child always thinks they're right. No matter what the parents experience or what they say is, where even if we know the parents are in this certain, in this, sorry, scenario, they're right. Yeah. And you just look, it's, it is what it is. You've got to just do it. The child would always think they're right. The child always thinks that they won't understand. So maybe there's that element. But these are 18, we're talking about 18 to 25. That's the right? most rebellious age. That's, that's <laughs> the most rebellious age. 18 to 25. you got your parenting wrong if that's, if that, if you, if you know, it's that's that, right? 18. So that, but I take your point, leadership as well. I mean, that is, you know, that is a, uh, that's a big thing globally at the moment, the state of kind of political leadership. And we saw that again this week, if we move over to the US, you know, we're in for another crazy election cycle there. Um, Trump was just fine. 350 million US dollars. I was, re- I was reading online, they're and calling it that you've been trumped. You've, <laughs> you've 350 trumped. million dollars and banned from running any businesses in New York for three wow. years. He's found been found guilty in this civil fraud trial, essentially of inflating his wealth and financial statements uh, to banks and insurance companies and such in order to secure loans and secure loans at better rates. Um, and apparently, it's, you know, if you look at the judge's comments, it's pretty op- it's pretty clear c- case. It's not even like this was marginal stuff. Apparently, the, the you know the information is and the data and the accounts are very clear, and therefore he has been found you know guilty of this. Obviously, you know we know what it's like over there. Trump's come out very very aggressive, complete and total sham, deluded, biased, and crooked. 
It's a witch hunt because he's, you know, again, amazingly still in pole position yeah. for the yes. Republican Party to to recontest this uh, general election. And amazingly, the Democrats are going to, looks like they're going to put up Biden again. <laughs> and so we're going to have another <laughs> round two of a crazy, crazy election coming up. Biden... I mean, some. I mean, I think it was last week. You had the incredible um, uh, stuff going on around his memory. You know, it's actually quite sad. But he's, yeah. you know, but he's the president of the United States, and it is a real concern, right? And yeah. um, you know, I think you had uh, leaked documents from very, very senior lawyers. I think saying, you know, the president's memory is not great. Uh, he forgets a lot of things. He can't make proper judgments anymore. And, wow. you know, you know, and then he came out to try and, and basically said, no, no, don't worry, my memory's fine. Yeah. And obviously Trump has then jumped on it saying, you know, mm. we all know that President Trump's Biden... Trump's not that much. How much younger is he to Biden? He's not, yeah, not much younger, yeah. but I think he hasn't got the same, you know, these memory, you know, memory issues and such mm. um, will affect people at different ages, won't they? Mm. And it appears that, you know... President Biden is, you know, suffering a little bit at the very least, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, whereas Trump has different, let's yeah. say, um, uh, cognitive yeah. <laughs> cognitive issues. <laughs> Maybe not on the memory front, but yeah. he is different. He yeah. has different cognitive issues, and so I, you know, who knows what that election is going to look like? You're going to have Trump out there, you know, doing what Trump does again, but with this, you know, these types of. Uh, guilty fi- findings, other v- very, very senior, serious criminal charges against yeah. him, and yeah. trials coming up. <coughs> it's crazy and how he's still, ru- still, still running. He could still win that election. I mean, I think he is currently on current polling the favourite to win against. If it is by, if he's against Biden, he would be yeah. the favourite to win. Their elections are so. Di- I mean, their general <laughs> politics in America compared to UK are so different. I don't know where because we're in the UK and we know it directly affects us. That's why we're more. We take it a bit more <clears throat> serious, but when you watch theirs, it's just like a—it's almost like an entertainment show. Yeah. Oh, You're yeah. just watching a saga of, wow, look how this is unfolding. And again, like everything you mentioned about Trump, it's unbelievable that someone who's gone through what he's going gone through and what he is about to go through with this new kind of you've been trumped uh, <laughs> that's going viral, that he could still actually be sitting on that seat as a American president. Favorite, yeah, favorite, and, and and there's nothing they can do about it. Yeah, it's incredible. It's totally incredible. And he said stuff, you know, he's saying stuff like, um, uh, you know, uh, <coughs> I'm going to pull out, pull out of NATO, uh, pull out, and um, and uh, and you know, I'll be friends with um, uh, the Putin stuff is incredible. So yeah. Putin, you know, earlier this week again, also interviewed, you know, he's also very smartly saying, you know, oh, I'd much rather President Biden as uh, as a, as president. So all the Americans go, oh yeah, let's get Trump in so that he could, you know, so that he could stick it to uh, President Putin. When Trump is on the record saying very very nice things about Putin, you know, yeah, <laughs> so but he's, you an know. he's an amazing leader. We should all be strong leaders like President Putin. But you know, when you say I mean, so- when you say something like, "If I was in power, he would never have invaded Ukraine," <laughs> like that is a strong statement. Yeah. And he didn't once deny it either. That oh, Trump saying that, but yeah, I was still would have. Like there was no denying it. So then it makes you feel that wow, it's, it must be some element of quality in this guy. If he can stop wars to that scale, because it's, it's the it's the chaos factor, isn't it? I guess you just don't know how he's going to uh, how he's going to react, and and you know I think there is something in that where, and, and that and I think that's the weird thing where you do have smart people, 
sensible people, you know, for example, in the Middle East, saying actually President Trump could probably be, you know, a better ally to uh, Palestinians than President Biden. And so, you know, if, if you're thinking that and you're sitting there in the US and you go, actually, that's my number one, you know, most important thing. I'm going to I'm going to vote for I'm going to vote for Trump. I still remember reading once <laughs> where he said, and I can't believe he said this. I don't know who he said it to, but essentially, he basically said, "Look, my my red my button nuclear button is bigger than your button." Remember that? Can you imagine you're in a meeting with you're in a serious meeting? He's the president, and, and ultimately, it can't, the decision of whatever you're talking about comes down to the president saying, "Just remember, my button's bigger than yours." That's it. Game over. Like, but but I'll, I'll say this to you, This is interesting, isn't it? Because um, and. Trump would Trump says it directly, whereas every other U.S. president yeah. uh, implicitly says it, yeah. and implicitly wants you, the other person to know that, but doesn't say it. Yeah. Whereas President Trump, let's forget all these shenanigans. Yeah. You know what the real uh, thing is that will stop you from acting in your way, and I'm just going to say it. And yeah. to some extent, yeah. You know what's the dif- what's the difference? Every other American president is essentially saying it behind, in uh, in other ways, but knows that it doesn't look, doesn't look or feel very nice. So I won't say it, but that is the that is what the leverage what is. Yeah. Whereas you know, to some extent, Trump's you know forget all this pretend leverage. We all know what the real thing is here, and I'm just going to say it to you. Yeah. <laughs> I think if if there, if there was ever a, a moment where anyone can really step up and try and sort of take some sort of leadership it's now isn't it we're seeing so much volatility across the world in sort of you know geopolitics economic uh, instability uh, wars around the world um, yeah international relations it, this is this is the time for anyone to really stand up and say you just want change don't you and I can try and offer it and people will listen this and this is, is the time when people is, are listening this is why I don't understand again I don't know they done it with are. Brexit no but with like Biden's party why is Biden the face of that party? This is why I don't get that point. This is, you, what, you, what you're saying is exactly right. And if they were to put someone just a bit younger in their prime... I totally agree. I don't, ...who can just maybe speak... And they'd win it well, easy. I, I think Probably, so. Yeah. 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 I have to agree. I think, it's, I think that is the weirdest thing through this is why isn't there a better candidate from the Democratic Party mm-hmm. coming through? I completely agree. And... I don't know, maybe it is something weird like, you know, there's all sorts of processes and structures, aren't there? And maybe just the fact that he's the president means that him and his team, you know, are incentivized to squash any sort of new player coming through. Whereas when you're in the opposition, you know, there's no single person has that type of power. And so different people can start. So that's how, you know, uh, Obama at the time was able to come through and then beat Hillary Clinton you know, for the um, Democratic nominee, because essentially he was he has the space, the finances, and there isn't a kind of power control that enables other people to just to get pushed out the way and their campaigns to get derailed very early because everyone's kind of jockeying and everyone's trying to build power bases. Even someone as well known and probably as influential in the Democratic Party as Hillary Clinton you know, couldn't actually just kind of pull some favours, pull some votes and get and derail Obama early on. So, and then by the time, you know, he's able to start building, all of a sudden it's a very close race and then he wins the nomination. Whereas possibly when you have the office of the presidency, 
you probably have some other you know strings and finances <laughs> that you can stop you can literally stop other people from coming through mm. and so hopefully well i mean sadly you're going to need um and because he's only one term in you know if he was if he was finishing his second term then he can't run again mm. yeah. and then you probably have a whole load of other people jockeying saying because yeah. you know he then he he'll then pick his favorite which will obviously that person would have a um you know a, a degree of benefit <clears throat> but he wouldn't be running and therefore wouldn't be kiboshing people in the same way whereas i think probably what happens in this moment is that he's been mm-hmm. not probably not even him probably not even him but you know that whole like swathe of people who are like around him and their whole yeah. careers are defined by being close to him yep. you know they need him to stay in so they can stay close yep. to the president Yep. And they're probably doing all sorts of stuff that he doesn't even know about. This is the thing about politics. For me, it's power, isn't it? Yeah, it's like, I think where, again, this word, <clears throat> look, as a Muslim, I could probably bring this word into any conversation, and that's living like a God conscious life. Because when you have a fear of like accountability <coughs> and you're in power to serve, then you just, that's a huge responsibility on your shoulders because you're not thinking about yourself. Yep. And I think this is what kind of gets me with politics is that. Sometimes you just look at certain things that are being said, policies that are being made, promises that are being made, and it's essentially just for that individual to stay in that seat <laughs> or that party to stay in power. And there's no element of like, well, do you know what? This is the right thing to do. And I think that's what always gets me that, you know what? When it comes to being God conscious, there's an element of accountability and that there's a supreme being who we're all going to be answerable to. So it's almost like the higher up you go in these sort of positions, the more responsible you are for millions of lives uh, and you affect so many people so again the accountability needs to be you need to hold yourself accountable and i think that doesn't happen in politics it's always someone else's fault it's always something's happened rather than actually do you know what it's we reflected and we could do better it's n- i've never heard that statement in politics yeah. <laughs> guys i've reflected and um, do you know what i'm sorry we, we can do better uh, but you okay. know the problem to some extent is you're right i mean you're absolutely right and the problem is though i think Whenever I think people have occasionally tried this, and the problem is every time they try it, that's they feel it. like it makes them look weak. And, and then yeah. I think what happens is, is the public turn on them often. Hmm. Said, "I told you you're wrong. Get him out." Yeah. And the next <laughs> thing, that person is uh, is is out, has to resign, or and the rest of it. And so you know, the public on one hand, you're right, want people to be honest, clear, accept. Um, accept their mistakes yeah. but then on the other hand uh, aren't particularly forgiving when they yeah. <laughs> when, when they someone are. actually steps up and and does it but you're right it's a, it's a careful balance and i think it's sort of the onus on all of us to sometimes accept those yeah. mistakes isn't it and be more um forgiving we'll move on to another story i think tied to our main topic later actually but i thought it was just uh, really interesting which was um i read this week that a you know a small campaign that just started by one individual daisy uh, greenwell who's 40 from um woodbridge um, she was just discussing with her friends, you know, the challenges of uh, keeping her uh, 11-year-old uh, away from a smartphone. She couldn't believe, you know, he started secondary school and she couldn't believe that everybody in the class, every, you know, all his friends all had smartphones. And, um, you know, you can see where it's coming from, I guess, to some extent. It would be, um, you know, it would be, <coughs> it would be... Um, 
parents want to be able to contact their children. They want to be aware yeah. of, uh, you know, what's going on. And so they give them a phone. And I guess in today's world, the only, you know, the phone the majority of people have is a smartphone. Mm. Um, but anyway, she found this very worrying, started, you know, putting it out in her kind of class WhatsApp groups and her parents' WhatsApp groups. And actually, there was a lot of uh, support for her. And very quickly, this campaign has apparently started to um, get quite a bit of momentum. And there's now, you know, she's now pushing this kind of nationwide campaign to minimise the amount of and actually ban smartphones for under 14s. Uh, and, and the reason why she's talking about uh, a ban and, and is because, you know, a lot of the time, this is the desire for the for something at that age will come through peer pressure yep. you know we all know that and so actually if you just you know if you as a parent say to your child you're not having a smartphone until yep. you know you're older here's a really old rubbish phone so we can stay in contact but you're not having a smartphone you also know that your your child's going to go to school and potentially (laughs) you know going to take a bit of uh take a bit of flack a bit of abuse for what is that massive brick you've got (laughs) you know we've all got this what is that thing that you've got and you know she thought that wasn't a position she wanted to put her children in either you know the potential to take that type of uh you know we all know what um you know, people, what kids can be like at that age. And so she wanted to open up this uh, this much wider campaign to try and get everybody, you know, on side and doing it. And I just thought it was quite interesting to, to read. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't completely agree with it. It's, um, I'm just trying to think back to uh, <clears throat> to my day in school when, you know, when, when phones were just coming out um, and, they, and they weren't that sort of popular, but whoever had it, you know, it was amazing. And even then, even though there's the odd person that had it in school, you still wanted a phone. And now, yeah. how are you going to survive if everyone's got a phone and around And literally you? all you could do then was make a call or text. Yeah. And play Snake. But still everyone wanted it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And now, of course, it's going to be a massive problem if you're walking into school. So I think, yeah, if, if parents can get behind what, what, this... What are the school policies? Is school allow phones? I think, school, I think most schools... Are, um, uh, can't say you can't bring your phone into school yeah, do they, they like, say but you can't they, keep it switched off until the end of the day or something I yeah don't know, so yeah. you can get well, i think during classes <clears throat> if it's ever comes out of your pocket or out your bag it can be back it can be taken i think lots of schools have that rule so yeah. you know during school hours during class time if a phone becomes visible to a teacher they can basically take it yeah but you know, there's lots of there's lots of times yeah, yeah, of course, on the way yeah. in before school, lunchtime breaks. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, where yeah. you know smartphones give you access to a lot. Of, so it's basically a laptop, computer on your you know in your pocket, exactly. isn't it? That's exactly what it is, isn't it? And um, I was just I, I was just reading the article about this this story. Actually, it says Ofcom reported that 87 percent of three to four year olds went online in 2022, whilst 20 percent of them owned a smartphone. Three to four year olds. Yeah. Well. And and th- the thing is, it's it's actually believable because you know three to four year olds can operate a phone. Yeah, yeah, I've seen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I've seen it within our own family that they so, just they know how to unlock it, they know the codes, yeah. they know what. But what, well, they can't in some cases pull a full sentence together, but they will know how to navigate their way to like YouTube Kids or whatever it is. And uh, you know, my my three year old, if if, if he's watching something, and. Um, you know, an alert comes and something sort of drops. He'll flick it back up. They're not straight away. Exactly. Yeah, even that Get bit. Of that. Yeah, he's amazing. That's in my way. Get yeah. rid of that. <laughs> it also says here: the younger the child gets a mobile phone, the higher their rate of mental illness later on. I guess we're going to go through some of this stuff yeah, yeah. a bit later on. But it's it's a it's 
I would back this campaign 100%. It's a huge challenge, actually. <laughs> and, and I feel like the biggest danger in terms of school life is there's certain things, like I remember growing up, you, I mean, in different schooling, uh, what do you call it, in your kind of educational journey, in different time, in that timeline, different schooling platforms provide different kind of things for you. For example, you're not going to be exposed to things that you are normally in uni at secondary school, normally, at least 15, 20 years ago, mm -hmm. or even primary school. But now I feel like because of the smartphone and because the world is your oyster, you can access and see what is happening and there's no kind of uh, limitations to what you can view. You now, things that maybe you would have been exposed at uni, you're now getting exposed to, in some cases, primary school, early secondary school. So that element of innocence definitely gets taken away. Uh, and sometimes you're not mature enough to actually intake what you're seeing to understand, is this right? Is this wrong? Or in what circumstances is this particular person doing what he's doing? Uh, whatever it may be. Even money then becomes a huge like uh, drive of, okay, well, life's all about money because every post I'm seeing is all money orientated. So again, there's so many th issues I feel with like with mobile phones. Uh, and I, I've noticed that myself as well, because we do a lot of youth work, that this next generation compared to previous generations, it's almost like you've got to persuade them to partake in any sort of sporting activity. Mm. Whereas like before it was like, that was your release, you know, and you want to <laughs> you want to attend all the tournaments, you want to go to any like, oh yeah, you want to go to the park, yeah, no problem. Or you want to play football outside in the street, no problem. Now, because I, I, I'll give you an example, we live in an estate and uh, we always used to like, even if it's our neighbours, four or five of us, just always play outside our houses. And we used to always have matches with the other estate, that your estate versus our estate. Now, gr my parents are still in that estate. You see kids here and there, but there's no le that same level. And mm -hmm. If anything, they're outside, but with their phones. <laughs> and they're sitting on the curbs just on their phones. So it's so you, dangerous. You, you see adults. I mean, maybe this is something that we can discuss in, in the next sort of segment. Too. You see adults now, you know, spending hours and hours on gaming. Parents. Yeah. And it's just because it's, addic it's fun. It's addictive. Um, it, particularly during COVID, you know, it was a way to bring... Um, you know, I got back into gaming during COVID. I, I don't own a PlayStation anymore, but I quite enjoyed, you know, that was that moment to sort of play, the, you know, I hadn't played FIFA for like 10 years. Yeah. But you got back into it because these, these things are fun, but they're they're addictive. But how much time is now being wasted on sort of, you know, these platforms? But yeah, I, mean, I, I guess these, um, yeah, it would be an interesting conversation it's to, balance, to link. I, I think gen generally, like when, it, when we talk about these things, you always got to pick the middle way. It has to be a balance. I mean, we're, we'll be wrong to say that there's no benefits. Yeah. There are many benefits of like having a smartphone, giving a child a smartphone, whatever it may be. But mm. you just got to find that right balance of not too extreme and not too lenient and have certain kind of procedures in place within your own family home that can help you kind of limit the dangers of having a smartphone at a young age. Should we do some sports news? Yes, of course we can. You want to take us through the cricket, Smarsa? No, not really. It's <laughs> <laughs> so depressing. Do you know what it is? Watching the India-England test. I've got to say, um, since Stokes is my favourite cricket player, Ben Stokes, I think his career, amazing. Like, from where he's... like he, From that last over he bowled in the T20 final, being demolished 
losing the final. And again, that happens. You know, T20, you swing your bat and you could, anything can happen. But the way he picked himself up after that and all the other things he got involved in, he won two World Cups individually, different formats. That test series, like, generally he's one of my favorite players. So he got me back into kind of watching test matches. I used to watch them quite a bit before. I used to love test cricket. Then it got a bit boring. Now, this whole basketball has just <laughs> fascinated me and I started watching it again. And again, I don't know if you're following it, the first two tests, the first one England won, it was a remarkable win. Yeah. Um, no one thought they were going to win. Second one, they lost. And so it set up the third one quite well. In India uh, won the toss, chose to bat, and uh, England got three early wickets. It looked very good, but all of a sudden, Rohit Sharma and Jadeja both hit centuries and India ended up the first innings 445 I believe mm. huge total but then England came out swinging like within that one session uh, what's his name Ben Duckett hit 100 over 88 is, balls yeah. which is like a one day kind of run rate uh, and England ended day two with 200 or, and one for maybe two Yeah, for two. so they were they were in line kind of to chase this and you wake up, and okay, this is the annoying bit that you got to wake up. I think the match starts three o'clock in the morning, mm-hmm. and it goes to twelve in the afternoon. You wake up, and then uh, I wasn't able to wake up at three. I woke up after our morning prayer, turned it on. England all out. <laughs> <laughs> England all out. Still trailing by hundred and like seventeen or sixteen. That's fine. How much were they trailing oh, in that first test match? Yeah, but the thing is, I don't know. What that's the, the beauty of uh, that's the beauty of this basketball team. Last I checked, England were hundred and sixty or seventy odd trailing by, with one wicket gone. So India are very comfortable, and all up. But the interesting thing is this: now, do India go for the win? and put up a score within a day and put England into bat knowing that we can get them out or is it gonna and what do England do I'm just saying do England go for the draw because let's say India put up a total of like 400, 500 because it doesn't look like England are getting any wickets do they go basketball star thinking yeah we can chase this in a day <laughs> which which has happened maybe but this is the exciting thing about test cricket now that what think, are they going to do I, I, I agree I think this England uh, test team is just the uh, is the best England sports team kind of in our generation to watch I mean it's just you know they 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 just go out there to try and win whatever the situation is amazing I mean in terms of you talk about leadership in politics talk about leadership here in sports you know you got um, you know McCullum and Stokes have turned around this team which was basically the worst test performing team in the world And in a very, very short period of time have got them into being one of the most feared um, test teams in the world. And, you know, you tie and put on top of that, actually, most of the players are pretty average. These aren't like extraordinary yeah. players. These are players who, you know, there's probably three, three world class players in the team. What do you think? Yeah. Three, there's probably three. Yeah, there's three world class yeah. players in the team, right? There's, um, or maybe even two, just Stokes and Joe Root. The rest are. Yeah, but again, you mentioned Joe Root. He's had. So, it's so unlike. No, this series, yeah, I agree. Series, but I mean, really, yeah. that you know, the rest of the players are. Um, you know, the rest of the players are pretty average. The spinners have played about five matches between them, right? the only, the and they only, yeah. and yet, and yet they perform at a level where they, you know, everyone uh, gets uh, so excited coming right. into the I think team. With this team, it's like. Like Duckett, for example, he hit at one fifty in this thing. Exactly. Amazing. But the the thing I like about him, he plays fearless. And it's like this every match. Right. It's not like for example I mean last match he didn't perform. 
but he still came out. He didn't knock his confidence. He came out. He played the same style, and he got 150. So that's the good thing about these guys. And I think okay, they're not world class, but they're close to it because yeah, they, yeah, yeah. their mentality is amazing. Like I, that mentality, it's incredible. Normally, a player, I'm just saying, who's short, if he gets out, he's a, you're known for a batsman. You're in this team for being a batsman. We were allowing you to put runs on the board. Yeah. For two games now, you've got out mid-20, mid-30. Sometimes, and most times, that can knock your confidence. So you very much play it safe the next thing. Not this guy. He just came out. None of them. None of them no, do. But this, is of the, them. this is the issue. We mentioned Joe Root. He is so frustrating to watch yeah, at the moment. Yeah. Because as much as you think, <laughs> oh, wow, this guy's turned into an all-rounder. He's really good with the ball, <laughs> spinning it. Oh, he's proper <laughs> off-spin bowler. And then if you see how he got out this morning, yeah. oh, it's so frustrating. Too to many tricks from Joe. Too Rick. many tricks. He's, and he, it wasn't like that in the beginning. No, no. Even Jimmy Anderson. I don't know what it is in this like start. Jimmy Anderson came out. Bassing. He's number 11. Yeah. First shot, reverse sweep. <laughs> Jimmy Anderson, number 11. Oh, God. And it, it's just amazing to watch. I that. love this England so, too. So, so currently, sorry, I, was, I said there were 160. India lead by 297 <laughs> at the moment. Already. With, how many wickets down are there? One. Oh my gosh! So the actual score is one seven one for one. Yeah, but they're two ninety. Yeah, so they're two ninety seven ahead. And, and this is day three. This is day three, session three. So they can bat all day today. Yeah, half, half day, day tomorrow. tomorrow. Yeah, and then put England to bat in and let's see. Chasing over five hundred, impossible. So this this is the interesting thing now. Like, what do they do? Because if they want, they can go for the draw. If they they've got the patience, do that, do they? if they've got the patience, they can hold it off and go for a draw. But if they're going to go for the win, <laughs> chasing five hundred, they're going to yeah, chasing five hundred. <laughs> if they do it, what a comeback! What leadership! <laughs> this is the thing, though. We're, we're it's just all life is all about perspective. Because if they do it, we'll be like, what an amazing team. If they don't do it, we'll be like, oh, how foolish are these guys thinking that they can actually do it? <laughs> so there's no win-win. With two one down, two tests to go. They'll still be as confident as ever going into the fourth test. That's what this team's all about. Yeah, you know, and two you know, nil down against Australia here. Turned it around. These yeah. guys don't. These guys don't care. It's amazing. It's amazing to watch. I love. You it. look at the India team. I'm just saying they got a lot of world class and Kohli's not that's even playing that's what I mean these are, you know, Kohli's not even playing that's what I mean if you look yeah. at the teams on paper it's a total mismatch and yet these guys because of the way they're, they're led because of the style of play that they want to play yeah. you know they manage to put up serious fights and they um, you know so I think it's just really enjoyable to watch eh? yeah no I think cricket at the moment especially test cricket but it's only England it's only watching. England No, I mean, I'm not I, watching the New Zealand versus South Africa but I, do th- but I do think people you know there's still early days in terms of this new style of cricket and I think um, I think more teams are going to ha- are going to take this on. Yeah. Have to, I think they have to. And you know, again, credit to the team that is full of pretty average players that end up changing how lots of other teams are going to play Test cricket. Yeah, you yeah. know, it's not like it's an exceptional team, but I think you know, hopefully, lots and lots of teams start doing this and actually start playing for wins and all the rest of it. Yeah, there was another um, sporting story I wanted to mention that was of Gary Neville, yeah. good old Gary Neville. <laughs> He was, uh, oh, he mentioned uh, somewhere that he finds Man City's style of play boring now. Man City are boring to watch now. Um, and Pep Guardiola actually took that as a compliment. And you would do if you're winning, really. It doesn't affect you, these like, small <laughs> yeah. remarks. But it was an interesting discussion to have, actually, that where a team is so dominant, and their dominance isn't it that they're just winning, it's the way that they win. Can that be boring? Well, I think I think it's it's also comparison, isn't it? I think he's he doesn't he he normally compares them to watching uh, Liverpool, and you know Liverpool's Klopp's 
Klopp's Liverpool's team is like high intensity, sprinting at people, mm. counterattacks. You know, everything's done at 100 miles an hour, and. I, you know, I don't think most people. I think most people would say that's probably more exciting to watch, isn't it, than just very, very effective possession football. But mm. if you compare that effective possession football to, I don't know, a team that is just whacking it up front, long balls for flick-ons, it's better, better to watch than that, isn't it? So it's all, I get, it's all relative, isn't it? It depends. Again, what's your perspective? If you're a fan of that club, yeah. you're going to think, "What is this guy talking about?" <laughs> yeah. We're dominating. Like we've got the ball. We're showing the yeah, next generation De Bruyne, how De Bruyne, to play. De Bruyne is but, the best player ever. Like, come if on. You, if you speak to like someone like, um, for example, like Chelsea fan, when Chelsea played Barcelona, when Torres scored that famous goal, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now Barcelona absolutely dominated that game, but Chelsea still won, and they went on to win the Champions League. So it's like if you ask a Chelsea fan that. Was that boring? No, it was actually very intense. Uh, and we were just thinking, how long can we stay in this game yeah, yeah, yeah. before we can see it? And then Torres, you know, came up 50 million worth spending because he scored <laughs> the goal of his uh, Chelsea career at that time. So it's, it, it all depends on your perspective, I feel. I feel like if your team isn't winning, then yeah, then why would you watch City? Because it's like, oh, this team is just its unfair how good they are. <laughs> But if your team is in, like, for example, Arsenal fans, if you ask Arsenal fans right now, is it boring? <coughs> they won't find this boring because their team, the style that they're playing, is competing on that same level with them. But the Arsenal style of play is a bit more exciting, yeah, isn't it? it? You know, you kind of go forward quick, get it they, to Sake, runs no, the players. Like, it's exciting to watch, isn't it's it? It's a difference between exciting to watch because they're good, but also because you don't know what Arsenal will turn up. That's true. You're excited to watch that game because, oh, they could slip. Whereas you never think that about City. Yeah, these yeah, guys, yeah. oh, they're vulnerable. <laughs> I wonder what city's going to turn up. You'll never think that. About but it. also, the part there's less in, there's less uh, in, the, in the city team. It's less about individual moments of flair, isn't it? Whereas I think, you know, Arsenal probably have a bit more of that. Get it to Martinelli one on one against yeah, the fullback yeah, yeah, and see yeah. what magic he can produce, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas I think City don't really play that way, do they? It's more, you know, the most magic you'll see for City is a kind of De Bruyne assist, isn't it? Where they give him the ball and he plays some amazing pass to um, to Haaland who then taps it in. I mean, I'm just saying normally the magic that you see from a City team is that is that type of thing because the, because otherwise it's just going to be an incredibly precise, nice little bits of movement, five yard passes, and and as a result of that, they just w- basically walk through a team. Mm. I mean, it, it's. Uh, I bet and, if you said to any Arsenal fan, look, we're going to have to change your style of play to something super boring, but you'll win the league. They'll yeah, take yeah, it all day yeah, long. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah, yeah, any team would. I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course they would. But exactly. This is the when thing, but we, if I if I link it back to a sport that I like, like boxing, I don't think I necessarily would. I'd, I like that vulnerability of a player being, of, so, a, of a boxer well, well, being. So then the boxing equivalent is Mayweather. No, but I, I don't think. Yeah, I guess it, he wasn't. For me, he wasn't boring. No, because he, he actually had. He, he, he actually was, had skill. He, okay, apart from his early career, he wasn't in any kind of scraps where you think, "Wow, this this is back and forth." Like Pacquiao was. You look at Pacquiao's fights, and it was war sometimes mm. because he's giving it as good as he's getting it. With Mayweather. He's not getting hit at all, but he's just giving it to this guy. Even that Canelo fight, I was watching that a few days ago, took very little punishment. Very boring in that sense. Like, Did you think that was boring? No, boring in the sense because you're expecting, um, because the expectation is, okay, maybe this guy can test him. And then he can't because he's got that shoulder defense. And he's this biggest selling pay-per-view. And people only tuned in. I feel like he, most of them were fans, but most of the f- people who would buy the pay-per-view is to see him lose. 
because people just wanted to see him lose. Hmm. And I think when you're but that, that was good, because he had built up his yeah, reputation of that. You're, when you're that good, people actually you your haters spend money on you. You know, like, I want to see this guy lose. That will never happen in football. Okay, let's go watch Man City. They might lose today. Mm. Arsenal in a few weeks. They <laughs> might lose that now. That's in a couple of weeks. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> Arsenal. It's interesting because I heard another discussion and it's, um, it'll be interesting to get your view, but Phil Foden, amazing talent. Yeah. He's already won so many honours in his career. Very young. And I think this is testimony to City as well. That someone who's not playing in his preferred position, who's that talented, I think he's an extraordinary talent. And he's not left thinking about himself again, oh, you're not playing me. Because he's winning, obviously. Mm. But in an England team where you've got Bellingham who's playing potentially 10, where do you play Foden? And if it comes down to picking Foden or Yeah, I don't Saka, think he's going to play. I think he'll play. I think he'll push him out wide. But the thing is then, who do you sacrifice? Who would you pick, Foden or Saka? I think he's going to play Saka. Who would you play? Yeah, wide. Yeah, yeah I'll play Saka wide. Who would you play? Again, you know my football knowledge, but even from what I've seen, Saka oh, wide. I'll pick Foden, man. What, wide? Out wide? Over Saka? No. Yeah. Really? I mean, I agree with you. It's one of those... It's a shame for Foden because, you know, in a, in a kind of sense... Do you think Bellingham's better than Foden? I think in that in that position, he probably offers you more, doesn't he? I don't know. I mean, he's scoring every game. <laughs> he offers you goals. He's literally scoring every game. Yeah, but I just, <laughs> there's something about Foden. Like when you no, watch Foden very nice play... To watch. I agree, he's very nice to watch and you'd like to find a way to play him. But I think the way... Um, you know, the, I think the Southgate's general system will be, you know, uh, two kind of holding players, Rice and probably um, Trent. I think they'll play them both in midfield with Bellingham ahead. So then you need two so wide this players. this is the thing. The fact that you're playing a right back yeah, at centre mid. And like, if I was, this is what I'm saying, if I was for Foden, I'd be really like, well, what else have I yeah, got to yeah. do? I've won like five champ- yeah, uh, Premier yeah. Leagues, yeah. Champions League winner. But this is where I compare a kind of Southgate for England football team to, uh, you know, McCullum's England te- cricket team. You know, there's two t- totally opposite ends of the spectrum where, spe- mm-hmm. you know, Southgate basically just very rigid, quite boring. is just trying to get them to win in kind of very safe ways almost. No, doesn't want to take any risks. Whereas McCullum's like, let's go, let's, you know, just rolls the dice. Let's go for it. Everyone, I've got some incredible talent that yeah. when they just, when they're told they can go for it, they just go produce and yeah you win you might lose some games along the way right but we're gonna we're really gonna push this would you would you play one holding just to get Foden yeah 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 yeah, of course play Rice sitting yeah he can do on his own he doesn't need another one and then I'd play Trent at right back yeah yeah same let's get going England's got a really good Let's team. Let's do it, but, but that's Har- not what I don't, that's not, I don't think that's what's going to happen. Harry Kane's not in the good books of the German press. <laughs> yeah. He's uh, having a real tough time. I feel so sorry for him. In fact, I wouldn't put... Like, Why is he having a tough time? Because he's, cause he's well, not he went embra- there to embracing speaking. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah but he's not doing anything wrong, is he? He's breaking records every game. <laughs> no, he's breaking records. But even this Champions League game in the first half, he, he did have an opportunity. Yeah, but come on. He, I think right. he's shown... I think he's shown... I mean, in some extent, it's a bit embarrassing for the Bundesliga, isn't it? Him going there and just scoring so many goals at this point in his career he's just showing how rubbish the league it is and how everyone there should just be banging goals yeah, all the time no? it, I mean just... all that talk about Lewandowski you watch him now and you think oh Harry Kane is like <laughs> how many goals does he score this is he at, this, at his age as well right he's yeah, yeah, yeah. like come on I think it's, it's a bit embarrassing for the league isn't it but I think Lewandowski that difference between the two he scored goals in big occasions yeah but come like, on Champions Kane's only been game. there a year yeah but it, I mean it was almost like a 
you go there, it's a guaranteed trophy, mate. You'll get a guaranteed <laughs> trophy. And what's happened is... How many years have they won it on the trophy? They've won, no, but they've always won, it's quite funny, won no more it? trophies. It's like quite they, funny, if not the league, they're like equivalent the to the Tottenham FA Cup, curse, whatever it is. The Tottenham yeah. curse, I and love it. And he's gone there, and uh, they got kicked out of the, the cup game. They got beaten by the team that's... 3-0, incredible, wasn't it? And now that team is five points ahead. And they lost their Champions League away game. So he might go a season without any honours this year. And someone told me that the Golden Boot Trophy has like looks like the Arsenal emblem or something. Is it? <laughs> I want the Bundesliga one. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> but I, do, I, I will say this, though. Um, I've been watching, I've been following him. I've watched some of their games. I just don't feel some of their players trust him. Really? Uh, he scores yeah, a, he, yeah, sc- no, no. he scores so no, many the, goals. The, goal, the goals that he gets, the, again, they're not like like Leroy Sane and um one or two of the others. They're very selfish players. Very right, selfish okay, players. Yeah, yeah. And almost Harry Kane, he he's living off scraps. I think if they actually trusted him he'd he score even he'd, more. He'd, yeah, he'd score more. <laughs> I'm not joking. This sounds like what people were talking about when um, Haaland first joined City, and they're like, "Oh, I don't know if uh, City know how to pass to him enough." It's like, and you know, come on, yeah, guys. No, but Fifa's has got like fifty goals. Like, yeah. come on. No, but he, <laughs> I think they're passing to him enough, right? Yeah. No, but I think this is where he, 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 like, with when you look at City, you don't look at it as selfish play. He's not getting the ball directly because they're building. Yeah, it. okay, yeah, with yeah. Not because someone else is yeah, dribbling. Not just shooting. because someone else is dribbling. If it was not, yeah. I'm better off shooting it than Harry Kane. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's um interesting time I think for sports. It's uh I think the thing I'm looking forward to most actually see if England can pull it out of the bag. I think this te- I think it'll be very, very difficult in this test match, but you know, some more players have got some runs. Uh and I think Joe you know, Root needs to show up, honestly. Yeah, if I not, think he should have they're used to coming from behind, so I'm not I think the series is still you know, I think they're still looking like, it's going to be a really exciting series. These spinners, man, these spinners have only played about five matches each. They've yeah, got absolutely Rahan no Emma. experience. So mm. they're learning every game, you know, they're going to learn a lot of it, getting a lot out of it. Yeah, absolutely. And we're coming to the end of the first hour. We still have about a minute and a half left before we go to the news. Like we said, when we come back, we'll be talking about our main topic, which is modern day parenting. And some people say, parenting in the 21st century i guess if our parents are listening i bet they're eagerly listening to think what is the difference right, between let's see you do it now our, yeah, <laughs> what's the difference between our parenting and the modern day parenting but it, it's a, it'll be an interesting conversation it's something that everyone in some shape or form can relate to uh, and it's interesting because again come a couple of the news stories that we covered as well it does come down to decisions that parents make so do get involved be part of the conversation 0208 687 7878 that's 0208 687 7878 or get in touch via any of our socials at voice of islam uk we'll be back after a short break there is an account narrated about syed abdul qadir jalani may allah have mercy on him that when he set out away from home for the purpose of his education, his noble mother sewed his share of 80 coins into the underarm of his shirt and advised him, Son, do not lie. When Syed Abdul Qadir departed, on the first day of his journey, he passed through a jungle that was inhabited by a large band of thieves and robbers. A party of robbers confronted and apprehended him. The robbers asked, What have you got in your possession? Syed Abdul Qadir thought to himself that he was being tested in the first stage of his journey. He reflected over his mother's advice and said, 
I have eighty coins which my noble mother has sewn into the underarm of my shirt. The robbers were extremely surprised on hearing this and said, What is this dervish saying? We have never seen such a righteous man. They took him and putting him before their chief related the entire story. When the chief questioned him, Syed Abdul Qadir Jalani gave the same response. Finally, when his shirt was torn at the place that he had described, it turned out that there were indeed 80 coins sewn into his shirt. All the robbers were astonished, and the chief asked why Syed Abdul Qadir Jalani had told them the truth. At this, Syed Abdul Qadir Jalani mentioned the advice that his mother had given him before he departed. He said, I have set out as a student of religion. If I had told a lie at the very first stage of my journey, what could I expect to attain? And so, I chose to stand by the truth. When Syed Abdul Qadir had said these words, the chief burst into tears, fell at his feet, and repented for his sins. It is said that this chief was the first follower of Syed Abdul Qadir Jilani. In short, truth is a thing that delivers a person in even the most trying and difficult of times. Saudi is true when he says, Never have I seen go astray the one who treads the right path. Therefore, the more a person adopts the truth and develops a love for the truth, the deeper a love and understanding they develop for the word of God and also for his prophets, because they are an example and source for all those who are truthful. This principle is also prevalent in the following instruction. Be with the truthful. Welcome back to Saturday Morning Live. You have joined us after the break. Before the break, we went through different news headlines that caught our eye, and now we're moving on to our main segment, our main topic of discussion today, which is modern-day parenting. Now, this came about because while I was discussing what we should talk about, we thought, well, we're all parents, and... Um, would like to think we're young parents, <laughs> <laughs> young in spirit, anyway. But it's um, yeah. But now that we're going through that transition of actually dealing with certain issues or issues that once upon a time we thought, oh, this is, you know, um, or rather the thought was that is the issues that we face as parents the same as what maybe parents were facing twenty, thirty, forty years ago. And that's where this term kind of modern day parenting or the 21st century, uh, the parents parenting challenges of the 21st century, that's what it was. And I came through a, a number of articles and there were a number of different things and I thought we'd just go through what the world is saying, modern parents, how they are suffering. <coughs> and the first few points actually were quite similar and that is just balancing your time and work like work-life imbalance. And I don't know what you guys think about that in terms of parenting how important is it to manage your time and then actually to get the right balance of work and time with your children or being a parent yeah totally but i, I can't imagine that is a uh, i can't imagine that's a new thing yeah you know i think that's probably since the beginning well, maybe, of time isn't it when maybe, you know parents have had to uh, manage their priorities I and manage like, time i feel right. like maybe it is because well we had this discussion off air as well previously i feel like it was very traditional in terms of the, the husband would go out and work and the wife would look after the child. Mm. And now in this age, you see, well, both parents are working. And I think where both parents are working, it, it is an issue. I, I think I've got a slightly different view on it. I think I, I 
actually when you when you've said it the first thing that came to my mind is actually I feel there's probably an inverse relationship there where we probably have more time now um to spend with our children we probably have more flexibility to spend you know flexibility to 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 be involved with sort of your your family and your children and yet I feel like parenting's become harder. So if you if you were trying to present the argument that we need more time or we don't have enough time um and that you know that's making it difficult to parent I, I would probably present the argument that actually why is it that I feel we actually have more time but yet we're finding that it's harder to parent our children. And I think that's where external factors come in like external influences and how our schooling system has changed and these things I I actually believe we have more time now well I guess the point that I I read online was that keeping in mind that you only have 24 hours in a day Mm. and you have to juggle then work household chores babysitting individual care whatever it is and then obviously parenting on top of that then the question of actually neglecting your child comes into the conversation that where you're kind of got so many things to kind of tick off and your child is almost just give them the phone okay you just hold the phone and I'll, 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 I'll sort these things out is that parenting or are those struggles real for me it's almost it- like a, the, the result of your busy schedule doesn't allow you to have quality time with your children I guess that's what it means that it, is it that the schedules are so busy now and um, maybe with all of these uh, gadgets and distractions, yeah. you are now, you might give a child a phone thinking, well, no, I was with the child all day, but the child is on the phone all day, mm-hmm. not really with you. So is that an issue? Yeah, I think that's exactly what I meant by, <coughs> it's actually an inverse relationship where we have so much, so much apparatus at our disposal to make stronger connections, yet, or more so than the previous generations probably would have had. Yet it feels like we are now further away from, you know, that, I forgot what the sociological term for the family is, but, you know, from that sort of idealistic image of a family, we're further away from it now. And I was I, I was reading um, the Organisation for Economic Cooperation and Development released... Um, a working paper series on on this uh, where they spoke about you know where they discussed about the framework uh, for understanding parenting and its impact on a child and one thing was quite interesting that I briefly looked at was that in the last sort of few decades like there's certain things that like divorce rate has increased single parenting households has increased yep. same-sex marriages has become legalized and increased um, and it kind of just goes into the family forms and sort of living arrangements have diversified um, a lot more unmarried sort of cohabiting couples living together and it sort of yet like where we have so much I suppose support around us it's still harder now it feels to, and this is what the point I was going back to that even though we have more time more flexibility with work and all of these things it feels harder now to to bring up a child in the correct way and I guess there you got you have to bring in that there's so many external influences 
like the negative effects of social media, keeping up with the Joneses and always wanting sort of material sort of advancements and and um yeah, I suppose they're 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 probably some of the reasons. But we'll probably touch upon, you know, the spiritual aspect of it as well. Yeah, look, um my point of view in in this particular point is we believe that as Muslims the Holy Quran is the perfect book. It's the book that has the perfect guidance to help you live a life uh, and I mentioned this previously the, the kind of in the balanced way because if you study the Holy Quran it's not too extreme in one particular thing and it's not too lenient in one thing either it's very kind of a balanced way a moderate way of living and I feel the right balance of a family home helps this situation um, what I mean is again by no means am I saying that if you if you're if in a family setup two incomes are required to run that household then obviously two incomes are required then you need to do that then in certain circumstances the husband and wife need to work that's there's no prohibition within Islam that says you can't work but it does set the guidelines of you can say a healthy home where actually the responsibility of the husband is to be the breadwinner go out and provide secure your family protect your family when it comes to those um, uh, particular avenues and the role of a mother is to care for the well-being of the child and the upbringing of the child mm. and I think where you have that set up then the balance is right obviously then there are other challenges that do face themselves where the father is working extremely hard mm. to present a lifestyle where you know keeping up with the Joneses as you mentioned then that needs to be reviewed that actually it's probably more important that you keep up to like spending time with your children rather than trying to give them an extraordinary life because actually your time is more valued to them you won't realize it now than the money that you're actually trying to put in their mm -hmm. pockets so that's a whole different conversation but I feel like that balance is right now again by no means am I saying that you shouldn't work women shouldn't work or mothers shouldn't work of course if there is a need you should but I think if you ask majority of women who do have children, I think they would, if they had a choice, they would rather stay home with the child. Um, because this is where I feel neglect is, and I've seen it as well, because I serve as a minister of religion. I deal with a lot of children, and sometimes it's almost like, well, have you spoken to your parents about this problem? And they open up to me, and oh, I don't know, I don't speak to, I don't speak to my dad, I don't speak to my mom, they're just like, they're ATMs. <laughs> that's their kind of code they're just ATMs I, I speak to them when I need money and it's I don't really open up about this stuff so it's and almost and I've seen in certain uh, certain households the whoever the carer is in certain certain households it's parents it's, so your your grandparents will be the carers or an auntie or an uncle might be a carer because the parents are working and they are more seen to that child as parents than their actual parents and I've seen that in certain classes where actually the child is calling their uncle dad as well. So his dad is dad, but the uncle is dad. And his mum is mum, but his auntie is also mum because actually she's the one that's picking him up from school. She's the that, one that's That can't be a new to. pressure though, can it? Um, no, it's that, not. That, that, it's you know, not, that yeah. kind of financial yeah. pressure, I guess, and the, and the pressure well, on the time is all, has always been there. I guess it's now there's a different type of... Um, perhaps a different type of societal pressure yeah. that maybe is kind of changing some of the some of the dynamics and expectations on on the parents that that causes 
that causes a difference. And then I think the bit, you know, as a as a new, you know, as a as you, what was the kind phrase we said? Yeah, young, young, young <coughs> The bit that scares me is more is is almost the forward-looking bit, the, the the and that is the kind of social media external influence, and I think that is a new, that's a new dimension, or at least I see it as a new yeah. as a tr- as a tricky dimension to manage. Now I think the fundamentals of it are probably have always been the same. You know, our parents will say, well, there's always kind of external factors you can't yeah. control. You know, it's not like they could control everything that you were going to see. You know, that we were going to see 20 years ago or be exposed to 20 years ago, 10 years ago. Like, it's always a parent's job to know. You know, kind of instill those values and instill the you know the framework for you as the kid and the teenager to then make your own decisions right because that is that's what parenting is you know giving your kids the confidence and the resources to make decisions that you think they you know they want that they that they want to make and that they're comfortable making i guess the difference is may perhaps that that's just I think it's fair to say has probably that bit of it has just increased the pressure has just increased on kids I think because of that kind of relentlessness of of social media and access to information and things online yeah. and I think that bit of it has probably just increased that doesn't mean that actually the parenting has to change that much because you're still this the, the fundamental is still kind of just giving the kids the parenting so that they are able to make those decisions <laughs> yeah. but it's almost just places a greater importance on it on getting it right because otherwise there's more i don't know there's more influence and more ability to get it wrong you know you know like the the concept of alternative medicine they say you know you go away from the sort of the traditional allopathic yeah. type and you go and try and find like maybe a, a difference in lifestyle or eat different or you know herbal or whatever right <coughs> i think that's what's required with with our parenting because if you look at the support coming from the government it's only ever increased right if you look at uh, economically arguably we're in a better position mm. if you look at our education system we're in a better position university you know everyone has access to university so all of these other sort of surrounding factors that you would have thought 50 years ago need to improve for our families to improve their mm. lives or have all improved. However, our relationships with our children and sort of, you know, that sort of side of things has, has arguably not improved at the same sort of rate or level. I think <clears throat> one thing that always comes to my mind when I think of this topic is is something that His Holiness uh, the Fifth Caliph of, Caliph of Islam Ahmadiyya mentioned actually in one of the um, Eid, Eid sermons was about community and how important a community yeah. aspect is to a person's sort of mental well-being and sort of getting together and he was referencing at the time you know getting together for Eid and getting together for the five daily prayers you know there's this there's this something else that it brings with it in terms of what it does to sort of you know the nature of a man i think if you if you think about how kids used to grow up in the past it was like you know that that saying that a village sort of what's the saying mm. that a village brings up a child yeah we don't have that anymore you know barely we find time to sort of sit with our parents sometimes with our friends whereas i think in the past you all kind of grew up you know, together, you probably remember, you know, growing up on that estate, you, you, there was a you, lot, you, your family you, wasn't just confined to the people in your home. It's interesting you said that because you first said that we have more time. That's what I mean. I do think we have time. 
it's not I don't think it's the time aspect I do think we have time and flexibility I just don't think we're doing those things anymore mm-hmm. so we're not prioritizing those things it's just it's, it's not part of our societal fabric anymore to be sort of neighborly to have you know com- commun- communication wider communication I suppose Islam also touches upon the rights of your wider family yeah, yeah. neighbors and I, I suppose it, it probably brings into that in that aspect that it's also because you know we're all meant to live together we're all meant to enjoy things together and be upset together and that's sort of the concept of funerals and sort of weddings and you know you you are happy and sad together but i just don't think as a society we're focusing on those things and that's why i say that alternative medicine because i do think for us to see a real change in the way our kids are in the way you know we worry about some of the things they're looking at online and 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 what's available to them and all of these things i do think it has to be outside of certain strictness or put more mm. money into them or education or put throw them into sports i think it it's going to have to inevitably be something different it's interesting you say that because i was like i was going to end this whole topic with this particular point <laughs> that you said that if you look at the society now everything has been made a bit more well ev- things are in place to make it a bit easier for you compared to 50, 100 years ago mm. in terms of you get benefits if you're struggling there's care available whatever it is education but what is it that's different and I feel that actually if you study it deeply that when there is less when you have less on your plate and you're in real time of need that's where your element of spirituality kicks in as well especially for us we're people of religion faith and it's only until you need something, really, you're in desperation, do you actually turn to faith as well. And that's not just us. I mean, uh, you could be thinking, oh, this is the voice of Islam. Of course they're going to say that. But actually, even in COVID, the most searched um, thing on Google during that time was prayer. Meaning that actually it's a human nature when times are down, when you have no other alternative, you do kind of start wondering that is there a God, shall I pray? Would prayer make a difference? So your heart does incline towards it. And I feel, again, this is the point that in any 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 parenting challenge that we're going to present today, I feel that I'll be able to say at the end of that discussion, well, actually, it's an element of spirituality as well. You've got to get that. Again, I started this conversation by saying balance. It's about the middle way. And by no means am I saying stay at home and just pray all day and all your parenting problems will be resolved. No, not at all. You've got to find the right balance of working hard, being honest, truthful, sincere in your efforts, and then matching those efforts with prayers. Because I feel like with a parent, being a parent, you realize even like parenting is like not even step one. I'll say like even going through the whole pregnancy stage, Hmm. it's so out of your hands. Like it's, you need certain things to fall into place at the right time and then obviously the pregnancy needs to stay healthy and then the actual delivery needs to be um, healthy. Everything needs to like fall into place for it to be a mm. birth. And at any moment, if one thing goes wrong, that's it, that, that birth might not happen. So for me, my whole experience of parenting started even earlier and trying to actually conceive a child. And it's like you realize how much this element of prayer falls into place and how much importance because that's the only really thing that gives me satisfaction and then now uh, we're blessed with the daughter and I sometimes think now that there's going to be a stage in this girl's life where I can't 
protect her all the time. I'm not going to be there for her all the time. She might hide things from me. I might not know what's going on. And that happens very early. Very early. And yeah. at that stage, all I can literally do from now to prepare myself for that is to just continue to pray for her. That God protect her, always be with her. But I think this is where like what you said comes into play, is that if the right time is invested into the child, and again, I think this is the this is the issue. Like we always think to give, it's natural. We want our children to have a better life than we had. It's the first thought that every parent has. Our parents migrate to this country for that same reason. We want to give our kids a better future. We don't want them to go through the struggles that we went through. When that happens, and you deprive your child to actually find their own feet, and you're putting everything on the plate for them, then a time comes in their life where they're not really ready to face certain challenges. Yeah, they don't know yeah, how to exactly. cope. So it's 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 that's so that's so hard not to do as well. It though, is, isn't it? it is. But the thing is, I think there's ways of. Again, this is where you got the right got to find the right balance because by no means are we saying that you need to be super strict on your mm. child, or you need to be super lenient and just give them everything they ask for. But you need to find the right balance mm. of actually what is it that how, how am I gonna? This is where I feel like that. But because of that thought of giving a better life, parents then prioritize actually money to be the biggest investment. For their child, where it's not, it's time. But money comes and goes. That the life lessons that you can learn from your father, from your mother, will stay with you for so much longer than money. I'm just saying hypothetically, if your parents, before they pass, just give you a certain amount of money, within a few years, either you're gonna make more money out of that, or, or that will go. You spend it on something, and that's it. You know that legacy finishes. That's right, though, isn't it? The um, you know, like you're. I think, like I said, you've always got that. Uh, there's always been that bit where the, you know, the child's going to be on their own. You can't do anything, and yeah. you hope that that through your parenting that you've, you know, instilled the right values and ability in that kid to make decisions that you know everyone is proud of and happy of in in the moment. Um, but I guess there's always been a level of okay, how do you try while the while the kid is learning those values and picking them up and understanding and you know how do you manage that that process and i guess back in you know back in the day it was do you want them you know what times do you want them out of the house and how yeah. often do you want them out of the house doing mm. things you know with different yeah. whereas now it's almost like well even if they're in the house yeah you know if they're you just, yeah like what they're doing and you know what they're doing on the phone or whatever it is and, and you know yeah, at, yeah. you know as we said at some point you have to there's there has to be the well you know now jump there's the jump, isn't there? And so, you know, like we were discussing earlier, there's a campaign to not give a 14-year-old a smartphone. So it is the view there that, okay, you, there's actually a hard rule that says, no, you're not having... A, I guess in the same way that the previous parents would have said, can I go to wherever? No, you can't. Maybe it's the same kind of thing. And But then there comes a stage where you go... And it sounds like they think 14 is the right age on this campaign. I'm not saying it is or isn't, but, you know, I guess there's a stage where you have to say, and and that's the tricky bit, I think, isn't it? Uh, judging when you think, okay, now I think the kid is, I think we've done what, all we can type thing, or we're doing what we can. I think we have to say, yes, here's your smartphone for you and you're ready to do what you want with it. And I think to some extent the really challenging bit is, trying to work out when those stages are mm. that you start saying okay I think you're okay to go and do that yeah, and you'll but, make the right but, and I think well you'll make the right decisions and whatever but I feel like you, you, as a parent your child 
will only respect that decision and understand that decision because again it's like sometimes the child won't understand yeah. why they're not allowed a particular thing mm-hmm. and they would, what would help them actually is if they have a relate a kind of living relationship with their father or mother uh, where they can actually it's almost like a friendship of course you're their parent but you are on the level with them where they can play with you they have fun with you they open up with you and when you have that implementing something like this is so much easier because you can explain it to them and it's mm-hmm. no longer kind of headmaster oh, it's this because I said it's this and on top of that you know like you don't he doesn't see you during the day much anyway and he, every time he sees you it's like do this one you can't do that so the relationship again it, the investment of time mm-hmm. and befriending your child is so important because I remember growing up as well yeah like we <coughs> obviously our dad worked our mum looked after us and we knew that there were certain things that if we wanted our way we first have to speak to our mum mum would then have to speak to dad dad would then like, have a think about it and then like come back say okay I've had, a, I've had a think about this whereas like ideally you'd want to be, have that relationship you could directly go to your dad and say look dad is this something again and that only happens if you befriend them and if you don't and you're just kind of in your mind you're doing best for them because you're filling their pockets and you're making sure their future is secure their future may be secure but then what it affects is your relationship with them. I, I think, yeah, I think you have to concede at some point that, like you said, you're not, you're not entire. Like, in science, there's a, there's a term called God of the gaps, right? When they, when they cannot explain something uh, which scientifically doesn't quite add up or make sense, you know, it's, it's said that essentially well, technically, this is God. God has now intervened and we don't have an explanation for it yet. I think... With bringing up a child, you kind of have to accept that there's going to be a zone which is out of your control because you can do everything you you can in your power at home. And then, and this is something I think about myself whilst my kids are too young. Yeah, actually, no, they're not too young because I've had some of these conversations with the teachers. They'll go into school and they'll be faced with a whole new sort of project of challenges, right? Um, and influences yeah. which are out of your sort of control largely i mean you can you can always sort of go into school and 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 try and have conversations about what's being taught but i mean like bringing into things like kids being exposed at such a young age to things that they cannot you know they 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 cannot understand gender identity issues yeah. and these things that are being discussed sex education and these things which inevitably are going to be influencing your your child so mm-hmm. so so i guess the point is that whilst you're going to be trying to do everything you can at home there's always going to be an element that you don't necessarily have that control and that's where i think it's so key that it has to be a spiritual element to this as well and yeah. it has to be that your faith in god is going to be or, or god is going to it's only through god that you're going to really see that protection that every parent really desires but also it's actually leading by example mm-hmm. this is the thing if you as a parent have that level of communication with your child you are involved in your child's life you've befriended them and they actually see you as a role model because we've look we've talked about leadership in the first hour of this show mm. well the first form of leadership that your child experiences is your father and mother like their parents because mm. they are deciding making all the decisions for you in your life you are adopting everything that you do in your life in accordance to your parents the language that you learn is the language that your parents speak the actions that you learn are the actions of your parents so these are the things that they learn up first you are the leaders the pet mom and dad so if they have the right role model then i feel like yeah maybe they'll mm. be upset that if they're not allowed a phone till 15 16 but 
they'll be able to understand because actually every time my mom and dad with me they don't have their phones there's like p- there's a very interesting picture of like where, where when you type in modern parenting it's uh, mom and dad are on the sofa with the child and they're both on their phones and the <laughs> child is just there and that that's the issue so for example what you're saying it's reality, you're yeah. not allowed a phone but actually every time you're in their presence you're on your phone mm. it just gets to them you know or you're not allowed to do this well, well you're doing it every time and you can't say well yeah because I'm your dad <laughs> but then all of a sudden it's like that authority you become an authority more than actually someone who they can trust mm-hmm. and and open up to it's such a deep conversation another another point is so we'll move on so the first one was like work balance again I think work balance so we've done point one point one <laughs> balance, balance <laughs> point one of twenty in this series this <laughs> no, is episode so, one yeah, no but balancing work <laughs> I, I feel again like that's not a modern day parenting issue I feel that's always been an issue um, and it's not even just for the sake of your child but it's also for the sake of your partner as well because I think if you have a healthy relationship that rubs off on your child as well they know okay mom and dad are happy or mom and dad are always arguing mm. children can tell the next one is actually dealing with stress now along with balancing work and family life another major difficulty for modern parents is dealing with stress whether it's work related stress or simply feeling overwhelmed with everyday responsibilities many parents struggle to manage their emotions and stay calm so that's one particular thing as well again I don't feel this is a modern day issue I feel like every everyone has experienced stress regardless of what yeah. time you're you're going through whatever a period of uh, life you're going through and again it's not a modern day issue I think 50 years ago 100 years ago or thousands of years ago people experienced stress but it is something that is valid in saying that um, dealing with stress especially now that you have a child is something a different experience um, the only way I can somewhat relate to this is you know like I mentioned like we, you, you want a child when you get married you want a child obviously and then when you have the child it's um, of course a huge blessing but then it comes with you now adapting your life to cater for that child and the biggest adjustment for me has been because my daughter's only six months so I'm still going through the <laughs> the reins of early parenting but it's it's the adjustment of sleep how much sleep you're getting and then I feel like where you're not getting enough sleep your reactions are different <laughs> yeah it's sometimes you're overreacting in certain things sleep and it's hunger sleep, sleep, sleep and sleep hunger and hungry. so for me that's been the biggest challenge and I can I can see how lack of sleep or lack of food where you're not worry, really worrying about yourself can lead to stress and yeah. arguments and being overwhelmed so that is a hundred percent a real issue I experience I don't know what your guys experience is. sleep is the big equalizer isn't it it's just uh, you know making decisions when you're really tired <coughs> without the energy not snapping parenting in the same you know same way when you're tired as versus when you've got loads of energy you know your kids have always got energy and um, you know you can't just be like oh I'm just too tired for this mate <laughs> <laughs> take the phone take the phone take you guys phone. are soft man your kids have got a fend for themselves <laughs> no it's true um, that is I, I was going to ask this question what do you it's probably an impossible question to answer do you think stress has increased now or in the generation of when our parents and, and so, this is the thing it's interesting because I know mental health has come to the surface in the last five years, five to ten years, but it's always been an issue. Like, mental health is not like it was just created now 
or it it is just diagnosed now like it's always been an issue people who uh, suffer they have depression they have mm. stages where they're happy and they're low so it's just that they i feel generally now the reasons of people going through some sort of stress or you can say mental health issue is a, it's a lot more sensitive now yeah, i guess that's what i'm trying to say but i think it's pro- i don't know what you guys think it's pro- it's probably fair that uh, just because of the way uh, society has changed over, let's say, 20, 30, 30 years, 40 years, there probably is more, uh, I think, Shams, you mentioned, it's probably more loneliness now, isn't there, where there, you don't have that wider that wider network. Most people have don't have that wider community to draw on, I guess, when bringing yeah. up the kids. So maybe 50, 60 years ago, you know, most parents would have... You know, quite a close network to um, to help. Sometimes when they're really tired, they're able to draw on a grandparent or a sister yeah. or just the next door neighbour to help out and get that sleep back, and you know, to help out. And it's probably just a lot more. You know, a clo- that close community, I think, probably lends itself more to that. And I think as that shifts, you probably have more. Uh, isolated family units like immediately immediate family units and when you kind of start cutting everything up into immediate family I think probably there's just a bit more pressure on those two individuals rather than being able to get out not always but I think generally over the country that's probably fair to say and I think then if you're really tired mum or dad and you've got no close support what do you do what do you do so this is the thing like you know you asked your question and I think if you look at like our parents and their parents like we're talking about what's the average family size (laughs) right now it's like three four children no i think two 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 Two, yeah yeah. and if you're four or five you think wow how do you do that but then you look at our parents and grandparents six seven is like considered low they have like eight nine siblings and again this is in a time where there wasn't that support the education wasn't the best you know the society was different so I can't imagine that they weren't stressed or they didn't have any sort of mental health issues. I think they went through probably a lot. But it's, that's the big question. And that's why I feel like now it's so much more sensitive where you've got a case study of like someone who's got nine children living in a third world country going through their struggles and someone who's living in a very developed country hmm. has everything kind of um, catered for them in terms of if you need help with education you got it if you need help with finances you got benefits whatever it is but actually this particular case is is a lot more sensitive in terms of there's a lot more mental health issues or stress issues or just parenting issues because I, I don't think that's this what this what I'm saying I think with these issues they've always been issues like mm. if if you look at the first case I mentioned I'm sure they had their own difficulties I'm sure they had some sort of stresses that they were going yeah, through I'm sure they probably went through yeah, yeah. highs and lows of their, their emotions but back then it wasn't like there wasn't this social media where like if you're going through it you get sympathy for it I think <laughs> they, no it, and you should get sympathy for it like if you're going through something you should there are always mean, yeah. there are always avenues to talk about <laughs> yeah. it but i feel back then it wasn't really encouraged because it was like well this is part of the job you just got to deal with it kind of you know and that that my one question is this and it's a bit of a sensitive question and i don't i hope it doesn't come off a bit wrong be careful then no <laughs> get ready to meet me no but what i'm saying is do you feel that nowadays because of the way that everything's been provided for us we lack that same effort of working hard. I was, 
Okay, so I was just going to come on to something similar to this, but now, but the the first part of that question nowadays, because of every the way everything is, just going back to your previous point, everything's relative. Have you guys ever noticed that if you go to like a third world country, or a country where you know there's a lot of poverty, a five year old is like a fifteen year old in this country. You know, they operate at a much higher yeah, intellectual level. They can do a lot more. They can, you know. But a five-year-old here, because of it, it goes back to that point, because of everything that we do have, you know, the luxury and, you know, the riches we live in, I don't think we're wired the same. So the reason I'm saying it's relative because, yeah, mental health would have been around all those years back. But where our parents grown up in these societies where there's like 10 children in the household and all of this, they kind of managed to sort of, that was their way of living, right? We look at that and think that's chaotic. Um, and we struggle here with, you know, having two kids and finding all the pressures here. But because the pressures are different, as humans, we've learned to sort of navigate them differently, right? Mm. And that's why I'm saying, like, those, some, I, don't, I don't think those pressures were the same for people living 20, 30 years ago or, or, or you know, sort of some of our parents that have moved, come to this country from sort of very different sort of backgrounds because the pressures here are different. I think they are very different. Um, yeah, but I'll give you an example, yeah? Sorry, but it probably doesn't answer your question. But no, no, I'll give you an example of what you just said. Let's say fifty years ago, there's no like WhatsApp. There's no like I don't think my parents knew how to use an email. Like, there's nothing. Mm. Yeah. So they've basically left their homes. Let's say my dad left his wife and one child, and so I'm migrating to UK. Gonna search for a better life. I'll, I'll try to keep in touch. I'm just saying there's no there's no a guarantee mm. that I'll be able to communicate you mm. to, in the next at least six months. Like that pressure alone, I'm just saying now, if you don't speak to like your partner or whoever it is, or a child doesn't speak, a mother will, like, you know, if my child hasn't been in contact for a day, you just sometimes get so worried. Whereas that worry back then, I would say it's increased by... It's a lot worse, like not knowing, okay, I'm leaving the country. I'm going to look for a better life. Hopefully I'll find a better life. And if and when I do, I'll get in touch and I'll bring you over. Like that that struggle, yeah. not just for the mother saying, that, okay, I, I don't know what's going to happen with you. But for the father saying, I'm leaving you behind now. I don't know what you're going to go through. The same um, story of like uh, the Prophet Abraham when he left his wife and child. It's the same thing, but the ele- it's the element of faith at the end of the day. But it's I'm just comparing the struggle of, back then to now where now if you don't in terms of communication if you don't talk to someone for let's say we said one of the reasons as a parent we want our child to have a phone in school so we can keep in touch with them but okay what if we can't does that mean we constantly are now going to be worrying and is that more of an issue now than it was 30 years ago for our parents it's weird isn't it because I, I was making the point earlier that we're not actually connected enough but then mm-hmm. in some ways we're connected a lot more yeah. And yet we have like 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 you're saying like previous. turn the tracker on yeah <laughs> <laughs> to turn the tracker on yeah how yeah. fast are you going but this um, that's what I mean why did you just turn why did you just turn left <laughs> yeah, yeah that's not the right way this is this is this is what I'm ultimately coming to the point that I was coming to again and I said I can make this with every point we make is that it's the element of having faith and turning to prayer for your own mental health for your own satisfaction knowing that. God, I, as powerful as I think I am, as 
I obviously have these responsibilities of being the protector and provider, but ultimately you are the best protector and you are the best provider and you are not you are someone who has knowledge of all. Mm-hmm. I don't have knowledge of all. Like when they're not in my like in front of me, I don't know what's going on. Even when they are in front of me, they're on their phones. I don't know what they do. They're talking to or what they're going on. So that element of faith not only keeps you you content, but then you know you've done all you can. And I think that that feeling of knowing that I've done all I can helps people get through their difficult times. Where you don't have that, and then you start relying on these measures that you've put in place, and you realize actually this measure is not working. Yeah, the, yeah. It makes right. you feel so bad sometimes that oh yeah, I've tried my best, and now I've failed. Am I a failure? You start doubting yourself. And I think it, in whether it's now or fifty years ago, at the core of each success story is the same faith. Now that's not to say that again there are people who don't have faith who don't believe in God they are very still very good parents and I'm sure they have success stories yeah. but I'm just relating to you our story that our whole life is based around believing in one God believing that this life is a temporary abode and everything we do in this life will be accountable for in the next so keeping all of these fundamentals in place everything we do points in that direction and then we try to inculcate these same morals and through these this kind of way of living you inculcate certain morals because they're religious morals like you tell your child you know be honest always be mm. truthful and okay you could tell your child to be truthful even if there's not a god i'm just saying yeah. but when we say there is a god it, it's the whole kind of background of why you're being truthful it's not selfish it's not kind of uh, for any gain apart from winning the pleasure of god because it's the right thing to do because you know that regardless in this situation you might think that is no gain for you but god is the best of planners you don't know what he might have for you in the future so there's so many things that i feel that that point for me will always be the foundation of a successful any any success for me personally in my life is that where you remember your core values and your core purpose really your purpose then then you'll be successful I don't know what your guys' thoughts are. No, I think I, no, I think that's right, isn't it? It, 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 it? If you can do that, and and those um, and that morality and that um, you know fear of God is also and love of God is also in uh, you know in your children's ingrained in your children, then you're essentially making putting them in the best position possible to get through the inevitable you know challenges, whatever mm-hmm. they are that they're gonna come across uh, in their lives where you won't be there mm-hmm. um and that and that's really that's really what it's all about and if they understand you know if they have those values and that morality you know front and center of of them when they're making these decisions that's all you can really you know then you're in a much better position because you're not you don't have to create you know physical barriers or arbitrary rules you can basically say, you know, I kind of trust you to make the right decision because that's what it—that's what you want to get to, isn't it? Basically, saying I trust you to make the right decisions yeah. because, because you've, uh, you know, you have these values and you have these morals. Yeah. We think that you will be able to, you know, you you're going to be able to make those decisions. And in that sense, it doesn't matter if you're, you know, a teenager in twenty thirty or in nineteen twenty, because if you've got that moral compass, you'll be able to make those decisions, whatever the 
whatever the weird challenge yeah, is, it was 2090. Mm. You know, we're, we're, we're sitting here discussing what we think it looks like now. You know, in 10 years' time, it's going to be something completely different. And you say, oh, God, how on, else, how on yeah, earth is yeah. are we going to help our kids to get through this challenge? Actually, it's, the answer is the same way, isn't it? By mm. just instilling in them the right values and morality so that they can, good point, they yeah. can make yeah. those decisions. So I've got a couple of few more points. Timeless, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, I've got a few more points. Let's see how many we can go through. Another, <laughs> you can say, parenting uh, dilemma is raising children in a digital age. And I know we've touched upon this previously, but the concern is that the growing popularity of digital devices and social media has always created new challenges for parents. For example, many parents struggle to set healthy limits around screen time for their children. In addition, as children become more digital savvy, many parents feel like they are always playing catch up when it comes to technology. So that's a common concern. Okay, this is I thought you were going to say as children become digital. (laughs) AI. (laughs) No, but this is... Okay, this is one thing that you could say, you could debate that is this something that our parents had to go through, like the parents of the past with this I, whole digital I think this is where it's a bit different, isn't it? Because you didn't have access to this other world of information and stuff. And you hear, you know, very young people were able to go on YouTube and, you know, shown videos from their friends, you know, 11, 12 year olds, shown videos from their friends and people talk, get you know, new ideas that you had. I think you, I think parents probably just naturally had a bit more uh, ability to control the access of information. And in those early years, you could probably argue that that gives you the space to develop those morals and values that you want so that by the time you've basically lost control and everyone, you know, every parent of every generation is always, there's a point where they lose complete control, right? And it's not that, it's not that old but I guess the when point Sonic is, came up for me yeah yeah but I guess the point <laughs> is now that you lose that level of control so early potentially yeah. uh, through these through these digital channels this is the only thing I yeah you're right I feel like maybe parents of the past like I don't think my parents or maybe your guys parents dealt with like the social media or the technology yeah. advancements maybe they were technology advancements of their own time but I don't think they were that kind of worldwide recognized it was simply what like in your country in your area what, what's the kind of latest thing and I guess at the it time it was like you know I, I, thinking back to my time I remember Sega Master System coming into my house and that was it, it was, you know yeah, gave, yeah. you know, and that's where my parents had to put in place rules after yeah. a while when like, I, I, I but think yeah, yeah, you're but right. we, we're also now better equipped whereas they they probably weren't as equipped but they mm-hmm. didn't have as yeah, because you're right. Because I, I remember for for us it was PlayStation as well, mm. and the way my parents did it for us is because we were four siblings, but it really <coughs> me and my older brother were the ones that really wanted the PlayStation. But I'll, I'll give you I'll give you a good example. I've got a friend who's got a um, yeah nine year old son. So what's that? That's not very old, right? It's nine. Mm. It's like year four or five or something going yeah. to school. And if you think about it, when we were year four or five, what did you in terms of access to information? What did you have? Basically, you're at home. Um, playing sport, whatever, maybe some computer games, yeah. watch TV, yeah. TV that you, your mum and dad know what TVs are, yeah, what, yeah. what's on the TV, and then that's you go to your friend's house, but again, it's just the t- the TV in those hours, that's and true, that's yeah. kind of it, right? You know, she was really worried because her son has, at school, through an older brother to his younger brother, sharing with their friends, been watching all these uh, Jordan Peterson videos. Wow. Right, so nine-year-old kids watching all these Jordan Peterson videos with his friends, saying, "Isn't this stuff amazing?" And you know, 
she didn't know anything about it until he comes home one day and says, oh, I've seen these really interesting things. This guy, Jordan Peterson, he's got some interesting things to say, isn't it? She's like, what on earth? How on earth? And I'm sa- what I'm saying is even if you, <laughs> you've you said that, this is a bit about control. There's no control. She, no. He doesn't have a smartphone. Yeah. So he, he's, she's tried to limit it by saying you can't have it. Yeah, and what happens? He's found another way to... And so... But how do you that wouldn't that challenge wouldn't have existed 10 15 years ago because how would a 9 year old boy have been able to find that it wouldn't really exist you yeah. like doesn't that thing the doesn't only, really exist right mm. whereas in now so easily the only, available the only, the only comparison i can somewhat relate again it's not the same but it's like i feel like for our parents the element of going out was a lot more back yeah, then yeah. than it is now because again that's all you had like when you're bored in the house okay just go out and play and i feel that that exposure for example when they do go out we don't know what they're exposed to yeah so they could be exposed to people smoking on the corner yep. Yep. drugs whatever it is so there is some element of exposure it's real life exposure i mean you because you're seeing it in real life right. the effect it has on you is a bit more different than the effect of something you have when you see it on the screen yeah i guess but you're right i think the you're very, again you're limited to your area so if well, you if you lived in a good area then your exposure is very good actually that's a good point yeah. but what a cycle though these things have probably come into place to take us off the streets and bring because yeah. there were those worries that what are yeah. they doing in the parks get them in the homes yeah. we're in the homes now like oh man get them out of the homes actually, now just, how do we just, get them back into the parks it's a very good point just yesterday actually because I say this because my uncle's come over from America so I went to visit him and my dad's brother and they were just reminiscing about oh do you remember when we went here and dad told us to go do this like for example well, dad was telling us a story. He goes, yeah, like we were kids and, um, you know, we went out and then we found a knife and we brought it home. Oh, dad, look, we found a knife. And my dad told us straight away, he goes, you put this gold, put this knife back. So I'm just saying they were exposed to that. Mm. Like that's something they were exposed to mm. because they went out. So I think, again, it's just what in every kind of era you're exposed to whatever the goods and bads of society. Mm. But now the challenge is, <coughs> is expectation versus reality because the expectation could be my child is very good he's home at nine o'clock doesn't go out this partying life is not about that doesn't take no drugs or nothing so your expectation is that wow my son must be really like focused on his education very well behaved very obedient but the reality is you've got no idea what he's doing on his phone so he's exposed to god knows what that could be affecting him in any way and if you just feel that the expectation is he's home on time so that means he's good you have no idea of what the reality is for your child. You know, and then I think the other thing is for those te- for like teenagers, we haven't got there yet, obviously. And but again, you look at it and you think, you know, before teenagers would go to school, have the pressure of the pip, whatever's going on there. But then there is a kind of escape. Yeah, I say mental escape, perhaps. But back you know, again, twenty years ago, you go back home, and that's there's like a break if there is True. you know pressure there or there's challenges there. Continues a, on what? It's a break, right? Whereas we're now. <laughs> Your teenager goes home on social media. There's no break. It's like constant, right? If she, if he or she's on that, she can see what people are saying, what else is happening, news feeds, all the rest of it. There's no break. And so in some respect, I think that you know requires... I think it just puts a greater importance on making sure that those you know those morals and values are, are there and strong enough to be able to cope with this... Uh, I think these challenges for teenagers in this in this social respect are at a different level to what mm. they were previously, and, mm. I, and and I don't think necessarily the 
the answer is any different to what it was 20 years ago but uh, maybe that just needs to is even more important than it was 10 20 years ago maybe yeah it's um it is such an interesting topic i mean i've got so many other points <laughs> the parenting dilemma points we've only got four minutes to go but i think with this social media one it's more so because i feel like before like i said in a society for example if i live in an estate I let my children go out. Now, if something bad is happening in that state, we all acknowledge it's bad. Hmm. We can't force someone to do good, but the acknowledgement is there from everyone that this is bad, we can't do it. So then you best stay away from it. I know you're exposed to it, but you stay away from this group of people because Hmm. they're doing wrong. And it's not seen as you telling your child. That's not seen as a bad thing. Whereas now it's like we know social media is has its dangers and if it's exposed to your child in the wrong way at the wrong age then there's more harm than good but I feel like the general consensus and again this is a wider discussion to have it may be because it's the easy option parenting is not easy it's so easy to just like here's your screen here's your screen just please give me half an hour I need to like do so many things here's your screen because I realize now the first time like my daughter was only six months the only time I've and I was thinking, is this a bad thing or a good thing? But the only time I've somewhat exposed her to a screen is when we had to go for the, the vaccination or something. And I just she just kept crying. And then I just had to put something in front of her. And it didn't really work. She kept crying. But then it, 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 I started reflecting that I did that because I thought maybe there's, what else could I do to entertain her? She's crying. Yeah. And then there's so many parents. I don't know what it is for you guys, but it's sometimes so much the easier option just to say, here you go. Yeah, 100%. 100% for, I, I suppose we're about to finish I suppose for us it was the first thing that we noticed was when my oldest wasn't eating he put a cartoon on and eats so I'm like oh wow this works Yeah. but if you actually think about it it's not you know and then I looked into it I mean not to say that after looking into it I changed it I still do it but you know I looked into it and there are there are psychological sort of Ish, uh, problems with, with with doing that because again you're associating food with this and whatever you know it comes yeah. a lot deep. but essentially yeah it's a distraction method isn't it you're you're using anything you can to to get what you need done in that in that moment yeah I guess I'll just end by saying look parenting requires infinite patience and prayers uh, and the Holy Quran teaches us to seek help with patience and prayer in Surah Al-Baqarah chapter 2 verse 154 and at times when we may seem to run out of ideas and answers, we should pray that, oh, our Lord, perfect our light for us and forgive us. Um, you know, we're, of course, aware of the overwhelming nature of this tremendous responsibility. However, we must recognize that no matter how hard and sincerely we may strive at the end of the day it is merely the grace and mercy of God that will save our children and keep them on the right path. And I guess that's a good note to end on. Um, maybe I would just say, we have a minute and a bit left. Any one parenting advice, kind of words of wisdom, oh if you had to God, give? If someone asked you right now, what? Give me one piece of advice that would help. Apart, and you can't just say what I've said. Smile a lot. <laughs> that's a very, that's a very good advice because that's actually a practice of our prophet to smile. There you go. And I think smiling is infectious because one smile then leads to another. It's good actually. And I, oh, I've got a minute, and that's such an important point you just mentioned <laughs> because this is the element of dealing with stress. That when I you bring so. your stress home mm. and you, you take it out on your children or or your partner, it, it, it you become the enemy very quickly. Whereas if you come home and you're the joy and the kind of uh, you know always the person that everyone wants to be around because you, you're just infectious everyone laughs around you everyone's happy around you 
That's very good advice. There you go. Shams, you've got 30 seconds to give um, us some advice. Take a second before you lash out. <laughs> <laughs> Just a second, then, to, then lash out. <laughs> All right, well, that's good advice. Always think about what you're doing. There is always a solution. Well, Again, forgive us for our shortcomings. We're no experts in parenting. We just had a, a very interesting discussion. Um, please. So, thank you for listening. We should always be thankful as well. Thank you for listening. And until next time, we hope you, jo- we hope you join us again for more Saturday Morning Live.